Now, can you hear the click? Okay, let's let's before we do that, let's talk about some stuff that needs to be adjusted here. Okay. Okay. Listen, listen, listen. What did you say? Praise the Lord. Ow. Something's wrong with my shoulder. Sorry about that. Okay, so uh, I'm gonna say something about that death where is your victory again. You know, this scripture. I want to make sure we get this taunt down again. So Joe, that's when you'll know, hit that slide when I talk about the scripture at that point and just make sure you know it says she talks about the scripture I'm the she in this one okay the gender fluid on this one <laughs> I'm non-binary anyways just be ready because during the communion time I will be setting up communion and then I'll say I want to make sure we get this uh, scripture that Billy Joe talked about earlier and so when that happens you can bring that up one more time go ahead and hit it I want to make sure uh, it does Something's happening with the back screen, so I'll come fix that for those two things. Sorry about that. I'm not sure why it's doing that, but I will say that death swallowed up in victory. Yeah, I'll say that thing right there, and then where's your victory, your death, where's your sting? Then I'll go back and finish up with communion, okay? Just be aware of that. I'll fix that, whatever's going on the back screen, why it's clearing that out. I don't know why, but I'll put that up there too. Um, the other thing is... When uh, the lower thirds, as far as the lower thirds are concerned, I don't really care as much about when it comes to the, uh, the lyrics of the songs. But when we're watching the host time and all, uh, just make sure that no matter where, where the camera is or whatever your, your screen is, make sure that you're setting ahead of time that the lower third is not going to be like across the neck with a lot of space above the head. Okay? Just be aware of that. Rob, what is she saying? Yes, she is. You're right. Okay, so you got to anticipate that a bit, but you are exactly right. Billy Sharp, that's her fault. Yeah, you're right. It's God's fault, okay, for making her that way. What a jerk. Anyways, uh, so keep that in mind, but those are the two things that I got to see. Anything else that we need to be aware of, Scott? Is Scott nearby? Anything else that from the tech booth that I need to be aware of? I'll come and fix that one. Okay, cool. We're going to then do uh, thank you, Jesus, for the blood so that we can get this little ending part down, okay? No, you want me to count for you at the very end?
to do that. Okay, I'm going <laughs> to pray one more time, and we'll go and fix a couple of those things on the uh, communion and the host time. Okay, everybody else will take their batteries. We have two seconds till Pastor Thomas. <coughs> All right, God, thank you so much for Jesus, the one who has conquered the ultimate enemy. God, thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your family for eternity. Let's sing it to Jesus, God, and he is worthy. It's in his name we pray. Amen.
everybody. Welcome to Capital City Christian Church. We're glad to see you. If you would, go ahead and stand right now. We want to say, God, thank you so much for the great things you've done.
here this morning. If you are joining us here in person or whether you're joining us online, we are so thankful that you chose to be here. If this is your first time here, I'm going to ask that you grab the red Connect card out of one of the seat backs in front of you. You fill that out, turn that into one of our greeters or at our welcome hub on your way out. We just want to be able to connect with you and get you any extra information that you may want about Capital City. I do want to discuss a few things that we have coming up real quick. First is coming this Saturday, February, I'm sorry, March 26th. And that's from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. Our student ministry is hosting a parents' night out. It is $10 a child. I don't know about you, but I don't know that I've ever gotten dinner provided and three hours of child care for $10. So you want to be sure that you're taking advantage of that, that you're getting some of that important one-on-one time with your spouse, maybe a night out with friends, or maybe just three quiet hours to yourself. We do need you to pre-register. You can do that on either the Church Center app or you can go to capcity.info. Click on upcoming events and you can find the link there. If you have any questions, you can reach out to our student minister, Ben Jeffries. This morning was not nearly as warm as it was the end of last week. However, today is the first official day of spring, which means that Easter is right around the corner. And we are gearing up for our Easter extravaganza. This is one of our big outreach events and we cannot make this happen without you. We are collecting individually wrapped candy that we can stuff inside of thousands and thousands of Easter eggs. Um, And so if you can bring those donations in, you can drop them on Sunday mornings. There's a trunk out in the lobby just to the left when you exit the worship center. Uh, Or you can drop those off by the office anytime this week, and we will gladly take those. Like I said, we cannot make this event happen without you, and we appreciate you guys supporting that. I know that for many of us, March Madness turned into March Sadness after the first round of games, okay? In fact, I almost bought a shirt to wear this morning that said, we don't talk about peacocks, okay? Okay. But here at Capital City, we are celebrating a different kind of March Madness, and that March Madness is not over. We want to be sure that we are continuing to nudge our family, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, even strangers in our community towards the love of Jesus by showing them his love in an outrageous way this month. Now, if you've been to a basketball game, you'll hear the student sections. They taunt each other, and they chant these things back and forth to each other. And this morning, we are going to talk about a taunt that is in the Bible. I am going to read from 1 Corinthians 15. And it says, then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scripture, the promise will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Did you catch that? I'm going to have you guys repeat it after me. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Now, if you are in the middle of this right now, I do not want to make light of your situation, okay? If you have recently lost a loved one, we suddenly lost my mother just a year ago, and it still hurts deeply. My husband's a military member and a police officer, and facing death is part of our daily reality. Maybe you're in the middle of a diagnosis or an arduous treatment plan. I promise you I am not making light of your situation, but we as Christians are able to face this in a way that the world is not because we have the promise and the hope that death is not the end for us, that Satan and sin do not have the final say because of our belief in God's son, Jesus Christ, and what he did on the cross for us. So we need to be sure that we are living that example and we are showing them how differently it is that we as Christians can face death. So what we're going to do is we're going to stand. We're going to chant this one more time together, and this time I want you to say it like you mean it. Say it like you believe it. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your 
Now, let's continue to worship our amazing God. How I long to breathe the air of heaven, a pain is gone and mercy fills the streets to look upon the one who bled to save me and walk with me for all eternity.
watch this. Of all the fears that grip our hearts, no fear is greater than the fear of death. There are those who will tell you that death is a natural part of life. But if death is just a part of life, then why does it cause us such anger and sorrow? When God created humanity, he intended for us to grow more and more beautiful over time. But in one tragic moment, we unleashed sin into the world and everything broke, including our bodies. Death is the ultimate consequence of sin and it fills God's heart with anger and sorrow even more than it does ours because death was not a part of God's original plan. The Bible says that when Jesus approached the tomb of his friend Lazarus, he quaked with rage and his eyes filled with tears. He was overwhelmed by the suffering caused by death, a curse we had brought upon ourselves. Death's curse was physical. Both the world and our bodies were decaying. But death's curse was also spiritual, eternally separating humanity from their creator, the source of all light, love, and life. But because of God's amazing love, he chose to surrender all power and glory to rescue us from death. Jesus, God's only son, was expelled from the presence of the Father and thrust into complete darkness in our place. He took humanity's curse upon himself, breaking death's grip on us and purchasing humanity a place at the Father's side forever. A day is coming when the true king will return at last to restore the world to its full glory and us with it, renewing both soul and body. You'll still be yourself, but even more so, you'll finally be the real you. On that day, we'll look at each other and say, I always knew you could be like this. I saw glimpses of the real you, flashes of it, and now here you are. Our future is not an ethereal, impersonal one. You're not going to float through the clouds. You're going to walk. You're going to eat. You're going to laugh. You're going to hug. You're going to sing in realms and degrees of power and joy that you cannot now imagine. Some will tell you not to fear death because it's part of life. But Jesus says not to fear death because it's been defeated. And the day will come when Jesus embraces you with his nail-scarred hands and says, Welcome home. I have so much to show you. Let's pray together. Father, we're honored to be here this morning at your invitation. And now we pray that the words of our mouths and the thoughts of our hearts will please you. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Okay, guys, here's the difference. God is the only one who is eternal, right? The only one who's eternal. 
He's the only one who always was, is now, and always will be. We are given life. He is life. So, unless you're God, you're going to die physically, right? Now, if there really is a God, then he must have the capacity to raise the dead because he's God. But guys, it's just one of those givens. Unless Jesus comes back first, we're going to die, right? Physically, all of us. Some of us are getting really, really close. Vern is getting really, really close, right? (laughs) Vern is way, way older than I am. Some of you guys probably have quite a few decades left, but years go by pretty fast, it seems. We're doing this apologetic series. You see, guys, I can't prove to you that there is a God, and you can't prove to me that there's not, but there's way more evidence for God than against Him. I don't even think it's close. I think it takes way too much faith to be an atheist. And we've been going through some of the evidences for God, and last week we looked at the idea of beauty. Beauty is one of the powerful circumstantial evidences for God. Now, I didn't focus on personal beauty as an evidence for God, although I've heard some people try. I mean, I get it. Some people think you can make in a rather amusing case that a Bella Hadid or a Scarlett Johansson or an Angelina Jolie or a Gal Gadot, pretty strong evidence that there must be a God. Right, guys? Right? It's for you ladies. Well, there's evidence for you, too. Take a look at this, guys. What do you think? Evidence of... <laughs> pretty strong evidence. There must be a God, Right? Pretty strong evidence that God has a sense of humor, right? (laughs) But the truth is, as we age, these bodies break down until we die. I'm getting there. Blood vessels stiffen up, making it harder for our heart to do its work. Our bones shrink in size and density, making us more susceptible to fractures. Our muscles begin to lose strength and endurance and flexibility. Our digestive system starts pushing back. Our, our brains get so full that we run out of disk space and we start forgetting things. I made that one up. <laughs> our eyes start losing their ability to focus. Our ears lose the ability to hear, hear some frequencies of sound. Our skin becomes more thin and fragile. It's really annoying. Metabolism slows down, which makes it easier to gain weight, so we old guys have an excuse, right? If you're old, you get it. If you're young, you will. And then we die. Isn't this stuff encouraging? You got out of bed for this, right? But seriously, how many of you think, see a show of hands, how many of you guys think that you might die someday? The rest of you guys are idiots. (laughs) The way bigger question is this, what happens next? What do you think is going to happen next? Well, that all depends on whether there really is a God, right? If not, your body dies and it's done. Your heart stops beating, your lungs stop breathing, your brain stops processing, and it's over. If you're no more than any of the other animals that are populating this world, it's done. But what if you're different because you're human? What if you were really created in the image of God? What if actually you are kind of a hybrid? There is a physical part of you, but there's also a spiritual part of you. What if when your heart stops beating and your lungs stop breathing and your brain stops processing, 
What if when the physical part of you is finished, what if the spiritual part of you is not? What if there really is a God and that part of you isn't done yet? Now, I think the closest I ever came to dying was right over there, right? April 16, 2014, about eight years ago, I was on top of some scaffolding painting above that screen, right? Right before Easter. Pretty high up. I went to climb down, and I guess I missed the step and landed on my back right over there. In fact, there's evidence of it still there, because if you pull out that carpet, you can see some of my blood on the, uh, on, on the boards that are underneath it. When they got me to the hospital, they discovered I had a brain bleed. They life-flighted me to UK. There were people in, from our Cap City family that helped tend me at the hospital. One of the guys from Cap City, Phil, was on the life flight with me as I went over to UK. I'm grateful. And apparently at that time, some of the medical people told some of my family that they weren't sure that I was going to make it. They didn't know how badly I was broken up. Now, you need to know, I'm a big baby about dying. Idea of standing before God with the darkest parts of my heart exposed scares the bejiggers out of me because I've got them. I understand grace here. I've always had a hard time getting it right down to here. So I have always been more afraid of dying than I like to admit because if God actually does give me what I deserve, I'm hosed. Well, I was kind of in and out for a couple of days, but I was coherent enough to know that they were really concerned. They didn't know how bad my injuries were. The fall should have broken me up way more badly than it did. Should have killed me. And here's what surprised me. In fact, it mystified me. When I realized that I might die, it didn't scare me. Should have. I always figured it would but I felt this weird calm go figure. Now, I understand that the next time I might be the biggest baby you've ever seen, but I hope I feel that calm again because that's what a Jesus follower is supposed to feel, I think. And here it is, guys. The way we Jesus followers die has turned a whole lot of people towards Jesus. Did you know that? For millennia. It's one of the most powerful circumstantial evidences that there is a God. I'm going to show you. Now, you would be think that dying wouldn't be too hard for a genuine atheist. After all, if there is no God and death really does end it all, nothing next, fall asleep, don't wake up, shouldn't be that terrifying, right? But some of the smartest atheists you read about aren't very good at dying. About 2,300 years ago, there was a Greek atheist philosopher by the name of Epicurus. He thought that we humans should be liberated from any belief in God. We should be liberated from any notion of life after death. That kind of nonsense he taught would make our life harder, not better. But he wasn't sure, and that was the problem. What if he's wrong? What if there really is a God, and what if some part of us really does live on after death? And what if what happens to us after death is shaped by that God that we hope doesn't exist? It's kind of terrifying for an atheist, right? So here's what he wrote. He said, if we could be sure that death is annihilation, 
There'd be no fear. For if you exist, death isn't there. When it does come, you no longer exist. But we can't be sure that there is annihilation. Because what people fear most is not that maybe death is annihilation. What they fear most is that maybe death is not. An honest man. See, if there is no God, I can, I can see why you might miss living and you might fear the process of dying. But why would you fear death itself, logically? But if, what if you're wrong? If, on the other hand, there's no God, death shouldn't be terrifying to an atheist. On the other hand, if an atheist discovers he's wrong and there really is a God, I can understand his mortal terror. Did you know, did you know that the way that we Jesus followers have faced death for millennia has turned countless atheists into believers? There's something about our courage, our hope, our calm that blows their minds sometimes. Freud was a really, really smart atheist, but he was not a courageous one. Apparently, he was conflicted with the terrors of eternal nothingness. (laughs) Why? Simmons tells us that he lived with a dreadful fear of death through his whole life. One of his biographers tells us that he thought about his death every single day of his life. Sad as that. In one of his letters, he listed his issues. He says, I note migraines, nasal secretion, and these attacks of the fear of dying. How sad is that? And weird. Unless he wasn't sure. Voltaire, prolific writer, philosopher, atheist. And he wrote stuff like, I'm of the opinion that one ought never to think of death. Which makes sense if you're a confident atheist. And as he lay dying, he was terrified. And he cried out, I must die abandoned of God and of men. Abandoned by the God he claimed he didn't believe in. See, if you're wrong, if we're wrong, okay, if they're wrong, It's pretty much the opposite of okay, right? Joseph Stalin, militant atheist, hated religion, hated the church. He hated the God he didn't believe in. His daughter talks about how he died. She says, my father died a difficult and terrible death. She said, God grants an easy death only to the just. She says, at what seemed the very last moment, he suddenly opened his eyes. He cast a glance over everybody in the room. It was a terrible glance, insane, maybe angry, full of fear of death. Then she says, he lifted his left hand as though he were pointing to something above and bringing down a curse on us all. The gesture was full of menace, and the next moment, the spirit wrenched itself free of the flesh. She said, later, it was as if he died shaking his fist at God, the God he was about to meet. Bertrand Russell, one of the more famous of the more recent atheists, mocked death for a while. One time he said, there's darkness without. When I die, there'll be darkness within. Okay. Another time he said, when I die, I rot. And the physical part of us does. What's fascinating is that as he lay dying, he asked a Christian friend to pray with him. There's no God. The idea of dying shouldn't be that scary to a logical atheist. 
It isn't scary when there's no God. What's terrifying is maybe there is. We Jesus followers, we die differently. It's powerful. Francis Collins is one of the leading scientists in our world. He headed up the amazing Human Genome Project as they were trying to crack the genetic code, headed up our National Institutes of Health for 12 years till he retired just this last December. Smart guy, an atheist when he was young. He was in his third year of med school and he was attending a woman who was, she was out of options. She was dying, going to die soon. She was a kind woman. She had a strong faith in God. And she said to him, you know, I'm ready to go. Don't worry about me. And then she said to him, Dr. Collins, you've been so kind to listen to me and care for me and listen to me share with you about my faith. Tell me about your faith. Tell me about what you believe. And Collins said nobody had ever asked that question before, not like that, not in such a simple and sincere way. And he said, I realized I didn't know how to answer. It was uneasy. I could feel my face flushing. I wanted to get out of there. The ice was cracking under my feet. All of a sudden, by this simple question, everything was a muddle, he says. And that started him thinking. And he began to wonder if he was an atheist because he had chosen his atheism out of reason. Or maybe he just didn't want a God. And he was honest enough to play it out. He said, as a scientist, I had always insisted on collecting rigorous data before drawing a conclusion. And yet, in matters of faith, I had not actually studied it. I didn't know what I'd rejected. So he says, I figured I'd better get a little more grounded in my atheism. So he challenged a patient who was a Methodist minister. And after listening to his questions, realizing that he wasn't dealing with a very full deck of information, he suggested... Colin says that I read the Gospel of John, which I did. It was interesting, puzzling. Not what I thought faith was all about. Then he began to read C.S. Lewis, and he says, I realized there was a great depth of thinking and reasoning that could be applied to the question of God. And he began to understand that reason and faith actually go hand in hand. And as he studied the data, as he pondered, he was convinced God does exist. Jesus really is the Son of God. And he decided that most of the skeptics and the atheists that he knew were just like he was, which means they'd never really examined the evidence. They'd never really thought it through. It's not that there's no evidence for God. It's more like they just don't want a God. And you listen to that story and you realize that the calm, courage, simple faith of a dying Jesus follower changed his life. And he's been a powerful spokesman for God ever since. So have you ever heard the phrase, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church? Words were spoken first by a Jesus follower named Tertullian, about 150 years after Jesus. And he said those words because he had seen it. So many Jesus followers had died just because they were Jesus followers. They were still dying just because they were Jesus followers. And it was not slowing the church down. It was almost like it was fuel for the church. The deaths of Christians were not scaring the people away. It was drawing them in, weirdly enough, because there was something about the way we died. And we know for sure how some of the earliest Christians died. We've got records of the deaths of many others in our tradition, 
The first martyr that we know of was Stephen. <clears throat> Great name, right? Right there in the book of Acts, chapter 6 and 7, he was arrested. He was put on trial by the same court that had just executed Jesus. And for his defense, all he does is preach Jesus, raised from the dead. And the bolder he got, the madder they got. Till it finally says, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven. He saw the glory of God. He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he says, look, I see the heaven opened. I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And they dragged him outside. They picked up the biggest rocks they could find, and they started killing him. And as they were killing him, Stephen is praying, Lord, please do not hold this sin against them. Wow. And the blood of the martyr was seed for the church. Then it was James, brother of John, one of the three disciples closest to Jesus, Peter, James, and John. They thought they could slow the church down by killing off our leaders, so they killed James with a sword. They cut off his head. Didn't slow us down. And every single one of the disciples, we are told, died well. And all of them were martyrs with the exception of one who died in exile. Blood of the martyrs. Andrew, the brother of Peter, was crucified on a cross shaped like an X. They call it the St. Andrew's Cross now. Bartholomew, one tradition says he was crucified upside down. Other traditions say that they actually skinned him alive first and then cut off his head. James, this was Jesus' brother. He was a leader in the early church. By the way, James didn't believe in Jesus until he raised from the dead. And after that, he spent the rest of his life preaching Jesus. How powerful is that? Anyway, because he was preaching Jesus, leading these Jesus followers, they threw James off the towers of one of the temple and finished him off by busting his head open with clubs. Matthew, the disciple who wrote Matthew, tradition says they killed him with some kind of a spear, maybe with some kind of an axe on the end. Matthias, the guy they chose to replace Judas, they stoned him, then beheaded him. Peter, who had denied knowing Jesus three times, became the leader of the earliest church. They crucified him, but he didn't think he was worthy to die in the same way as Jesus, so they crucified him upside down. Blood of the martyrs. Philip, one tradition says that he was crucified upside down like Peter. Another says that he was beheaded. Simon the Zealot. Some traditions say that he was crucified, others that they actually sawed him in two. Judas, the other Judas, not Judas Iscariot, according to tradition, they killed him with an axe. Thomas, the one who doubted the resurrection of Jesus till he saw him with his own eyes and touched him with his hands, they murdered Thomas with spears. Apostle Paul, beheaded by Nero. And not a one of these guys recanted their faith in Jesus. Every one of those guys died because they were preaching Jesus. They knew he was alive. They knew who he really was to the day they died. And the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. It didn't slow us down. Did you know that there are actually stories about people who were witnessing the death of Christians who converted to Christ on the spot and went to die with the Christians? 
There's an old book called The Fox's Book of Martyrs. It was written by a guy named John Fox 500 years ago. Still blow your socks off. You can go online, actually, and read it for free. He tracks 10 periods of persecution from the founding of the church to the time of Constantine. They just kept killing us brutally. We just kept coming. And the way we died and the way we kept coming, guys, is powerful evidence for God. And Jesus is the Son of God. And it still is. There was a doctor in the 1800s. His name was David Nelson. He was an atheist for a time. He wrote about watching his patients as they lay dying. He watched many of them die with no religious faith. And he says they try and keep this brave face on their terror. But he said, I can see the fear in their eyes, and it was chilling. He saw many people die what he called cowardly deaths. Wow. And he watched Christians die too. And he looked into their eyes, and so many times he noted this sense of calm, peace. He wrote, I beheld more celestial triumph in these dying Christians than I'd ever witnessed anywhere else. In their voice there was a sweetness, and their eye was a glory that I never would have believed had I not been there to see it. And eventually he came to a strong faith in Jesus, in part because of the way we Jesus followers die. Go figure. It's a powerful fingerprint of God. Have you ever seen it? I have. I'm a preacher, so I've been to a whole lot of funerals. And I can tell you, there's a difference between the tears of Jesus' followers and the tears of those who have no hope. Have you ever seen it, the difference? Do you know why they're different? Do you know why our tears are different? Because we actually believe verses like these. The Apostle Paul said, Dear brothers and sisters, dear Jesus followers, we want you to know what's going to happen to believers who have died so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. Because we believe Jesus died and we believe he was raised to life again. And we also believe that when he returns, God will bring back with him believers who have died. Now, if you look at it carefully, he doesn't tell us not to grieve. If you love someone, it's going to hurt when they die. It's going to leave a hole in your heart when they die. What he tells us is this, don't grieve like they do. Don't grieve like those who have no hope. Don't grieve like those who don't believe in a God, those who don't trust Jesus. You know why? It's right there. Because we understand that death couldn't hold Jesus. And he told us that death isn't going to hold us either. He's going to bring us back. And at the end of this section, he says, I want you to encourage one another with these words. So guys, this is hard. But if you're grieving like they do, stop it. You don't get it. If you don't trust that God is perfectly powerful and perfectly wise and perfectly good, you don't get it. We don't grieve like those who have no hope. That courage and that calm and that peace and that hope that they see in our eyes can draw people to Jesus. It is a fingerprint of God. One of the most influential researchers on how we die was a woman by the name of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. She said there are four reasons that people fear death. 
There's the pain that so often accompanies it. There's the decomposition of the body, which is gross. There's separation from loved ones. And the scariest one, she says, is this, the fear of the unknown. Pain part, we get. We get that. Most of us aren't masochists, so that's kind of scary. The fear of the decomposition of the bodies, we get that too, although I suspect once you're dead, you're not going to care much. The fear of separation from our loved ones, I get that too. Although it's mitigated if you're a Jesus follower because you understand that that separation is temporary, right? And the fear of the unknown, that's different for us. If you trust Jesus, we understand who He is and what He has done and what He will do, so we don't grieve like those who have no hope. In another place, the Apostle Paul says, I'm going to reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die. Somebody's coming back. But we're all going to be transformed. It's going to happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and those who are living will also be transformed. Because these dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. And the Scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Do you believe that? Do you believe it fiercely enough that it's going to change the way you die? And so Paul actually taunts death, as Billy Joe said. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? We are not terrified of you anymore. Listen, guys, I don't look forward to dying. I certainly don't look forward to the process. But, Paul says, don't be afraid of what's on the other side. You're Jesus' followers. He says, thank God who gives us the victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. And guys, that's why it's different for us. You see, the more you trust Him, the weirder your death will be for them. And I've heard too many stories like this one to discount them all. Carrie Thompson is one of those ladies in this church family, and she scares me. I try picking on her quite a bit, and she gives it back a whole lot harder than I give it, and she gives it back with attitude, and she's scary. Several years ago, her husband, Lloyd, died. Lloyd was the kind of guy I want to be when I grow up. His fingerprints are all over this church. Right before Lloyd died, he died at home, Carrie says that he told the nurse, got to tell Carrie. Where's Carrie? Can you get Terry? Carrie? I've got to tell her. By that time, Carrie was there and heard him say, it's so beautiful. He said, I don't know how I'll be able to tell her about this. She won't believe it. I've got to tell her what I'm seeing. It was so beautiful. I don't know how to tell her. I don't know how to explain it, he said. He's not the only one who said words like that from this church family. I don't know how close I was to dying when I fell off that thing. I I know some of those who were around me thought I might. What was weird, really weird, is that I really expected to be terrified. And maybe next time I'll be the biggest wuss you've ever seen. I don't know. But what was strange to me in that moment was the calm, the peace, which I'm pretty sure was a kiss from my God. 
Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, and anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. And everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you? You believe it here fiercely enough that people are going to be drawn to Jesus by the way you die. One of the books I'm using as a resource for this series is Simmons' Reflections on the Existence of God. still have a few copies of it in our connections room if you want to pick up a copy. It's a great book. And Simmons talks about death and dying as one of those circumstantial evidences for God. And, And here's how he closes this chapter. He says, takes us right back to Epicurus logic. Maybe what people fear most is not that Jesus failed to rise from the dead. Maybe he did. Maybe what people fear most is not that death is annihilation. Maybe what they fear most is that it's not. What if there really is a God? And guys, the evidence is so strong. And if there really is a God, and if Jesus really is God revealing himself to us, then what you do right now with Jesus is the most important decision you will ever make in your life. Do you believe that? Let's pray together. Father, for Jesus, we just give you thanks because he changes everything. He changes everything about life. He changes everything about death. Give us the courage to believe fiercely that he is God and give us the courage to be changed by that as you're trying. We love you dearly. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.
Christ for what he has done, the one who has conquered every enemy, including death. We want to celebrate what Jesus Christ has done at this time. What we do is we have this communion service, a memorial service to help us remember that. In these next few moments, you get a chance to go to the tables and you'll be able to take the bread and the juice to remember his body and blood that were sacrificed for us. And so we would love for you to take part in that. Maybe you also have some other things that are kind of stirring within your heart, your soul, because of these things that you're hearing from God's word today. Something that makes you think, I have been in fear before and I don't want to have that anymore. We want to be able to hear from you and pray with you. Doc's going to be over here. We want to make sure that you can come forward in these next few moments and be able to speak to him and see what God can do when you relinquish control to him and you tell him, I have been in fear and I don't want that anymore. So we invite you to come forward in these next few moments. But before we do, I want one more time to see this scripture that we've been talking about today from 1 Corinthians 15. Death is swallowed up in victory, not will be. Death is already swallowed up in victory. Death taunt him. Where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? And it took what Jesus Christ did on the cross. We celebrate that right now. Let's go to the tables. Death was 
Rejoiced as though heaven had a
victory. Death, there is no sting. It has been arrested, it has been changed. It has been defeated. You have to live that way. You have to live knowing that that is what's happening in your life so that the world can see the light that's within you. There's so many people that are hurting and they're caught in the midst of death. We want to be able to say to them, there is no more power here. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for Jesus Christ, the ultimate conqueror, the one who has showed us what to do, the one who has showed us how to act, how to live so that this world can see who you are and give glory to you to be a light in the very, very, very dark world. We believe that you are active, believe that you are alive. We want to give our whole hearts, our whole lives to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go nudge some people today. We'll see you next week.